0: Politics, guys. I'm Michael Baronowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My guest today is Josh Silver, director and co-founder of Represent Us, a nonprofit organization that brings together conservatives, progressives, and everyone in between to pass powerful anti-corruption laws that stop political bribery, end secret money, and fix our broken elections. Welcome to the show, Josh.
1: It's good to be here.
0: So. To start, can you talk a little bit about your background in politics and why you decided to uh, start up represent us? Well, you know,
1: as a lot of your listeners know, the, the the problems that are facing our government, the dysfunction, the polarization, the sort of one step forward, two steps back on on virtually every issue you care about, it's it's because we're having a system failure in the United States. The the system of democracy, the way that candidates run for office, the way that we vote as citizens, and the way that politicians govern once in office is fundamentally broken. And and when you realize that, you realize that we're in many ways tilting at windmills, whether we're fighting on issues like poverty or healthcare or jobs or efficient government, taxation, climate change, uh, because the system itself is stacked against reform. It's against progress um, because it's gamed for the establishment. It's gamed to work well for those who have deep pockets and who game the system for partisan operatives uh, and not so well for the rest of us.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, one thing I noticed, that uh, The Politics Guys, this podcast is founded on the idea of bipartisanship. And so when I was reading up about Represent Us, one thing that really caught my eye is that, you know, you try to bring people together from across the political spectrum. And I'm wondering, what's what's the importance of that in your view?
1: It's really simple math, Mike. It's Gallup, the polling uh, entity, has has asked the American people twice a year, the last 24 years or so, are you liberal, moderate, or conservative, or other? And uh, currently, 25% of the American people self-identify as liberal, 38% are moderate, 36% conservative, 5% other. So one quarter of the country's liberal, but for the last 40 years, efforts to fix our broken democracy have largely lived on the political left. And you don't win with a quarter of the country. And more importantly, when you actually take the time to ask moderates and conservatives, grassroots voters, that is, uh, if they support fixing our rigged political system, vast majorities do. So what we've learned is, that virtually about nine out of 10 Americans support sweeping reforms to campaign finance, voting, election laws. Uh, But you have to do it in a way that embraces both the right and the left and everyone else, because you're not going to win with one quarter of the country.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that seems like common sense to me, but, but yet, like, like you mentioned, unlike represent us, almost every political reform effort I can think of is strongly ideological and focused on the left. And I'm wondering, why do you think that is?
1: Now, that's a good question. I mean, I think part of it is the fact that deep in the DNA in conservative voters is this this idea of conservatism. It's It's why so many, what I would call real conservatives, are pretty upset that the new tax bill that just passed it uh, puts us 1.5 trillion deeper into debt. They're conservative with finances and want to have a balanced budget. Uh, in the same way, I think that conservatives tend to lean more towards the status quo, and I don't mean the bad establishment status quo, but um, they're, they're less reform-minded when it comes to sort of proactive policies or, in this case, regulations that would fix our government. And so they need to be introduced to how changing campaign finance laws or changing how we vote uh, can do things like end gerrymandering where 86% of house districts are currently uncompetitive or create ranked choice or uh, voting or, or open primaries that actually break the two-party duopoly and then enable independent and third-party candidates to run and win or or, or that create lobbying gift bans and close the revolving door so that politicians can't just sort of cash in once they finish government service and become high, highly paid lobbyists and, and, and curry favor. So, you know, once they realize that you can pass common sense laws that fix this, conservatives uh, you you can lead them to water. And I think that's what's been starting to happen. And it's been exciting. We're seeing uh, tens of thousands of, of conservatives all across the country joining thousands of liberals uh, at represent.us and and starting to pass laws at the city and state level that actually fix that. So that's And that's really exciting.
0: I want to thank today's sponsor, SeatGeek. You know, buying tickets to sports and concerts, it can be complicated and confusing. I always feel like I'm getting ripped off somehow and it takes way too much time. At least I did before SeatGeek, which is definitely the smartest, easiest way I've ever tried to get tickets to any sort of live event. They help you find the best seats at the best prices and it's fully guaranteed. You know, I just pulled up the SeatGeek app and uh, I noticed that Jerry Seinfeld is coming to town. Now I'm an old guy and so I kind of like Jerry Seinfeld. I saw his special on Netflix. It would be awesome to see him. I wouldn't have found out about that or got Gotten a great price without SeatGeek. I also am looking here and I see John Prine. John Prine is a great artist. I love John Prine for years. He's coming to town. Thank you, SeatGeek, for letting me know. You know, SeatGeek saves you time and money. They search multiple ticket sites to compare prices. They find you really great deals. I highly recommend them. Also, they get you the most bang for your buck by grading every ticket based on value so you can see the seats to fit your budget. And again, every purchase is fully guaranteed. So here's a great deal, Politics Guys listeners. Just for you guys, you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do, download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com and enter promo code POLITICSGUYS today. That's promo code POLITICSGUY, sorry, POLITICSGUY, no S, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. I would imagine. So in other words, part of the issue, it sounds to me, is that this has been portrayed as a liberal issue, something that would hurt conservatives and Republican causes, yet that's not really the case when, when you look at it in a broader context.
1: No. In fact, it's the opposite. I mean, what this does is it makes it so politicians make decisions uh, based on the merits rather of, of, of any given debate rather than who's the highest bidder. It makes it so that you could see uh, a much broader range of choices for for can, of candidates when you're voting uh, makes it so that uh, it's easier to participate in elections. Uh, that fewer politicians are being bribed, uh, which is really routine. And you know, it it acknowledges our approach acknowledges that both major political parties are corrupted by the influence of money in politics and by these broken election systems. And, and neither party has an incentive to fix it because they, uh, they've been running the table as a duopoly for the last uh, you know couple hundred years. And uh, there's not been enough competition because of the broken system. They have an incentive to keep it that way. And that's why you need a truly right-left populist movement from the bottom up to fix it.
0: Yeah. You know that, that word you mentioned, competition. Now that sounds like the sort of messaging that would appeal more naturally to to a lot of conservatives and republicans because of all the strong belief that they often have in in the value of competition.
1: For sure. And that's why what we do, we think of as post-partisan, which I really like. This idea, let's put partisanship behind us, cuz this idea, like, you know, having two political parties and that's it, that that's kind of crazy. I mean, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, if you're a single person, you know, in your early 20s, you, it's like somebody, somebody's saying, okay, here are these two people you can marry. You know, these are, you get to choose from two. That's it. I mean, it's kind of crazy that we have this incredibly limited field of, 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 of candidates, and it's because the system itself is diametrically opposed to choice, but you can fix that. Through all these kinds of innovative reforms, uh, you know, I mentioned a few of them, like you know, reasonable ca- contribution limits, uh, full disclosure of all political candidates, so there's no more secret money, uh, publicly funded campaigns, um, open primaries so that everybody votes in every election, rank choice voting so that you're no longer picking the the lesser of two evils and having these so-called spoilers that ruin it if they enter the race gerrymandering reform, like independent nonpartisan redistricting commissions, automatic voter registration. So everybody's registered, period, uh, automatically through verified systems that already work. Uh, Vote from home. Uh, Anybody who's ever experienced going to the ballot box and you look down ballot at the smaller races, uh, lesser known candidates, and you don't know who anybody is, and you just sort of throw caution to the wind and maybe vote by party because you don't know who anybody is, Vote from home, lets you sit at home for two weeks with google and a, and a, and a pen, and you can actually learn who these candidates are and vote accordingly. So there's a lot and, and progress is being made. Many of these reforms that I've just rattled off have seen substantial victories at the city and state level over the last ten years. It's been one of the most underreported bright spots of the last decade.
0: You know, I think you mentioned the city and state level, and of course, that doesn't get a lot of attention. And I know a good amount of your focus is on that level. Why, why focus on that as opposed to, uh, you know, the United States Congress, the, the the national level?
1: Well, I'll ask you. I mean, and I ask rhetorically? Do you think there's any chance that anything good's going to happen in the U.S. Congress right now? I mean, they can't agree on anything. The reality is. If you look Mike, if you look back at the history of our country and you look at some of the most important fights, interracial marriage, um, the women's right to vote, the um, issues like gay marriage, regardless of what your opinion is on those issues, as a matter of political strategy, these are these are issues where the proponents of them were fighting a huge fight that was that was viewed as impossible. They were getting nowhere in Washington, D.C., and they took the fight local. And in all cases, they've started by winning in the states, getting state legislatures, or in some cases ballot initiatives passed, that, that won the day for them. And they just kept building state by state, city by city, all around the country until they eventually hit a critical mass or a trigger point at which federal legislation was ultimately changed and the federal law was was transformed, and that's what we're trying to do. I mean, interracial marriage, it took them 180 years, and, and they started, at one point, they won about six states, um, and then they were they got no progress for over 50 years, but they kept fighting. Same with the women, suffrage, uh, right to vote. They won a handful of states, they didn't get anywhere for many years, like over a, over 20 years. And I'm sure a lot of people said, you know, ladies, it's not gonna work, you're tilting at windmills, you'll never have the right to vote, but these courageous women kept fighting, and they eventually won. So that history shows that when you're in the face of something that seems truly intractable like this does, that the only solution is to go to the city and state level, take advantage of the fact that all Americans, not just liberals, support sweeping transformative reforms, pass those reforms at the city, county, state level, and redraw the political map of America to create a new normal, where the normal is democratic policies that actually create competition, depolarize politics, increase civility, increase positive public interest outcomes, and make democracy actually work for regular people.
0: Sounds great. Yeah. And, you know, one thing you mentioned about this kind of the state level approach, it occurred to me that one another advantage is that many conservatives say we don't want to be dictated to by Washington, D.C. when we're out here in whatever, Utah or Montana or something like that. And that that sort of is a a very positive response to that type of criticism, saying, hey, okay, that's fine. We'll work closer to you. And that's, that's something a lot of conservatives think is very important to do.
1: That's true. And, and you know, you have to realize too, Mike, a lot of people you watch TV, you listen to mainstream media, you you would think that the country was like 50% Democrats, 50% Republicans. You know, only 28% of American voters are Democrats and, and 28% are Republicans and 41% are independents. And that's a big deal. And that independent number has just been skyrocketing over the last 10 years. And so what you see is that conservatives are not happy with the Republican Party. Liberals are not happy with the Democratic Party. And the kind of work that we're doing is really strikes at the heart of the problem. It strikes at the heart of what's really wrong with American politics and gives people a home. Because the fact is, until we unrig the system, increase competition, let independent and third-party candidates run and win and thrive, And govern, Uh, we're not going to have the kind of democracy that our founders envisioned, and that's what we're out to setting out to do. At represent us. Right
0: now, one one word you've mentioned a few times is corruption, and I think in the popular imagination, political corruption. When people think about it, they think about bags of money being handed over, you know, in exchange for votes and so forth. Now, I'm guessing that your sense of the term is broader than that. And I, I thought it'd be helpful if you kind of give listeners a sense of what you mean by Political corruption and also how big of a problem it is.
1: Well, it's huge. Uh, political corruption, the way we think of it, is uh, is sort of uh, generous. That is, it for some people it means bags of cash under the table. For many other people, it means what the current system legally allows. I mean, we currently have a completely corrupt political system, Mike. I mean, we have a system where. Today, if you are on the Finance Committee that oversees banks and hedge funds and the and Wall Street, your biggest donors are the lobbyists to the banks and the hedge funds that you regulate. That's just normal business as usual in washington, d c. It's literally as if the players were all writing checks directly into the pockets of the referee at the at the basketball game. And uh, one team makes all the contributions and the other team doesn't. In this case, the team that makes the contributions are the moneyed interests from the tech industry to to, to the to the oil industry to the healthcare industry, insurance, you name it. Meanwhile, regular working people who are struggling and who are suffering don't have anybody representing them in Washington, D.C. or state houses, and they all lose. So. Corruption and anti-corruption movement means a lot of things to a lot of people, and that's a good thing. We don't have to be too specific.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it used to be, of course, that there was a, there was a tradition of strong uh, private sector unions in this country for a long time, and, and they sort of helped to counterbalance that. But, but we have really seen a, a falling away of that. And so I guess things in that sense for regular Americans are actually worse than ever
1: for sure inequality economic inequality is bigger than it has been since the 1890s the 1890s and we just saw a tax bill pass that is going to widen the gap between the rich and the poor even more and and you know it's it's all because of this problem because the reality is there's, there's no reason like there's no reason for anybody to believe that so-called trickle-down economics ever worked for any working American, middle class or working American. It's never worked. Everyone knows that. Everyone who's an economist knows that. It's a bogus ploy for special interests to get sweetheart deals, the big banks, the big oil companies, the big pharmaceutical, big healthcare, the the politicians are in their pocket and and they're and they're selling us out. And it's because the system is rigged to their advantage. And until we unrig it. All this kind of malarkey is going to continue. Right.
0: You know, you mentioned campaign contributions, but, but another part of the problem is uh, what's called, often called secret money. And part of what you work on it Represent Us, right, is to uh, minimize or, or eliminate the, the problem of secret money in politics. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what, you, what secret money is and how big of a problem that is in this system.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. As many of your listeners know, back in 2010, Citizens United passed in the, in the, the court decision at in, in the Supreme Court that opened up the spigots of, of, of unlimited secret money uh, coming from corporations to, uh, to politics through super PACs, so-called super PACs. Now, the decision uh, required that super PACs disclose their donors. That was part of the ruling, that they needed to disclose the donors. But then, of course, our corrupt Congress found a loophole which was to continue to allow these other classification of nonprofit organizations that are called 501C4 and 501C6 organizations that don't have to reveal their donors, who they, they can take money uh, and then anonymously move that money into these super PACs. So we're seeing routinely massive amounts of money moving secretly into politics by essentially exploiting a loophole allowed by big money, special interest, beholden politicians. But to be clear, this predates Citizens United. Even before 2010, we were seeing these kinds of shenanigans on both sides of the aisle with secret money pouring into elections. What, what changed with Citizens United is it took a, a, a regulatory environment that was a little bit opaque, a little bit unclear, and therefore careful political donors sort of used care and did not go all in in order to uh, be sensitive to the opaque nature of the oversight once citizens united happened it became abundantly clear that it was a free for all in american politics and that's when big money sort of jumped in with both feet and now we see american democracy for sale to the highest bidder and that's why we're seeing the kind of of, of carnage that we're seeing now in the way of of rampant corruption uh, daily instances of Congress and and state legislatures selling out the American people, and and it really is cause for for alarm, and it's cause for every American to sort of put down what you're doing and get to work on corruption.
0: Yeah. So it almost sounds like what what you're talking about is is the equivalent of uh, well money laundering, actually.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, it's legalized money laundering. So again, when we say we're fighting corruption. We're fighting against legalized corruption, which is what, the, what defines American democracy. It's a little bit like frogs boiling in water. You put a frog in water and then you slowly turn up the temperature. They never jump out because they never actually notice the water's getting too hot until they're dead. This is what's happened to the American people. And it's been happening for a long, long time, uh, decades. And until we fix it, until we rewrite the rules uh, that the politicians have to follow, um, we're going to keep turning up the water until we don't have a sustainable republic.
0: Right. Now, now some people in response to this would say, well, you know, there's this tradition of anonymous political speech in the country. And in fact, it goes back even before the Declaration of Independence and that the framers absolutely intended to protect this sort of speech above uh, above everything else. And so therefore, any laws that try to expose or limit political speech are not only unconstitutional, but even un-American. I mean, what, what do you say to that? How do you respond to that sort of argument?
1: It's BS. I mean, the, the reality is, Mike, is that everything everything has a cost-benefit analysis, right? Very few things in life are cut and dry. And I, I would very easily, today, if you give $200 or more to politics, you have to reveal your name. Uh and that's and that's just and where you live, uh, your city and state. I'm fine with moving that up to a thousand dollars. yeah, I, I could imagine doing that. Uh, but the reality is that uh, if you're giving significant money to politics and having thus significant influence on politics, people should know so that we know who's bribing who because that after all, is what's happening. I mean, think about it. The last federal elections, when you combine the presidential and Congress, cost over seven billion dollars. The two most expensive U.S. Senate races in in America, you would have had to have raised over forty thousand dollars a day, three hundred and sixty-five days a year, six years in a row, in order to have a war chest large enough to win in New Hampshire or uh, or Pennsylvania. That's really disgusting. And and the reality is is that most of the people who are writing these larger checks to these candidates. They are not doing it out of love of country. They are doing it because they're getting something in return. And we have the right to know who is getting what in return for their bribe, and that usurps, that trumps, if you will, the argument that people should have their privacy uh, for their political giving and thus their political views.
0: And it would also, I imagine, free up considerably more time for members of Congress to actually do their jobs as opposed to spending the incredible amount of times they have to spend raising money.
1: Yeah, between 30 and 70 percent of their day for all politicians is on average, one one study concluded, uh, goes towards
0: fundraising. Yeah, and that's just nuts, I think. Crazy. Now, now what sort of legislative action, legislative fixes do you think might improve this uh, situation?
1: Well, you know, I've I've kind of rattled off a bunch, and your listeners can go to a website called anticorruptionact.org. That's anticorruptionact.org, and on there, you'll see uh, the the anticorruption act. It's it's the outline of legislation. Um, For example, it says that uh, you can, this is profound, it has a provision, these are all constitutional, by the way, and would hold up even in the Roberts Court. Uh, that says you can lobby or you can donate to politicians, but you can't do both, which would be pretty profound. It bans lobbyists from bundling money, bundling contributions, which means gathering a bunch of of contributions and then giving them out at once. It closes the revolving door between government service and the lobbying industry, so politicians have to wait four or five years before uh, becoming uh, paid lobbyists after government service it prevents fundraisers uh, during the the day. It prevents politicians from from dialing for dollars during the business day. Imagine that. It it requires the complete disclosure of all political money, and it stops donors from hiding behind these secret money groups, like called Americans for a Greater America. It ends gerrymandering through the creation of independent redistricting commissions. It opens primaries and allows uh, all voters to vote in all primaries. You don't have these closed partisan primaries anymore. Uh, and it lets voters rank their candidates with something called ranked choice voting. Uh, and then automatic voter registration. I talked about that vote from home uh, and, and national popular vote, which would make every vote count in presidential elections rather than just a handful of, of states. And uh, and then, of course, campaign finance changing how campaigns are financed with small dollar programs, public funding. And then the last thing would be just cracking down on the rules because what's happened is the rules are not enforced even when they exist. So uh, strengthening oversight, closing lobbyist loopholes, um, and 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 increasing enforcement. So that's all at anti-corruption It's all doable, it's all constitutional, and if we pass a slate of reforms that even include half of that, we're gonna have a political system Far better than the one we have today,
0: yeah, and I'll make sure to put that link up on the show notes so people can check that out. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit more specifically about election now, in your mission statement, you you flat out just say elections in this country, I believe are broken. I mean, is the situation really that dire would you say
1: uh, what do you think i mean we're we're in a situation where you know the last presidential election had the two least popular presidential candidates of all time since, since record keeping started 70 years ago. What What is that a sign of? It's a sign of a system that is in deep, deep disrepair. It's a sign of a system that the best candidates, the most popular candidates, the most thoughtful, introspective, the most representative candidates, they don't even want to run, Mike. They, they're just like, this is dirty. I have to raise money all the time, it's mudslinging it's, they're going to go after my family it's like you know this is the dirtiest of the dirty and i don't want to be part of it and 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 when you have something like that uh, well that's when you really have to you have to really change how the system works so that it actually encourages good candidates to run and win you have to change the system so that the incentives the baked in incentives are not are polit- candidates appealing to big money donors to fuel their campaigns, but rather uh, appealing to their constituents to fuel their campaigns. Yeah. And the list goes on, but until we do that, we're just gonna be stuck on this mouse wheel, and I would say, yeah, it's it's really bleak. I mean, only 4% of Americans have a great deal of confidence in Congress. Only 36% of Americans approve of our president. I mean, the, and, they, and not many more like the Democratic Party either, so like things are bad.
0: Well, you know, I should point out also that it's not like this is an impossible task. I mean, in plenty of other uh, rich, advanced countries, voter turnout is, you know, 70, 80 percent, even higher sometimes. And, and ours just kind of muddles along. If we get a little over 50 percent, we think we're doing reasonably well. And, and so we, we certainly could do a lot better, I would expect.
1: Oh, it's depressing. I mean, remember this Alabama election we just saw for the U.S. Senate seat? and it was expected by the Secretary of State in Alabama that that 25% of voters would turn out. It ended up being this, uh, this jackpot for the Democrats of 40%. That's pretty depressing, that this incredibly important election getting national attention, big time, it gets 40%. Why is it so low? Because most voters feel like the system is rigged, they feel like their vote doesn't matter, They feel like politicians are out of touch and just in it for themselves and their donors. And they're right. And so until we change that system and actually create a system that people can be proud of and that they want to be part of, we're going to see those those dangerous trends just continue. So that's why people need to go to represent.us. It's why you need to sign up. It's why you need to get to work on resolutions and laws that are parts of this Anti-Corruption Act in your own city or your county or your state. And you need to become part of the solution, like seven hundred thousand other Americans have done over the last four years.
0: Wow! Yeah, that sounds—that sounds like some some absolutely great advice. You know, there's one other question I wanted to ask you, and that's uh, about uh, sort of barriers to success. What would you say are the biggest impediment or impediments to making progress in all these really important issues?
1: Uh big money goons. Uh, they often, uh, they, they come out in, in droves. So, for example, in, in, in November of last year, we passed the most comprehensive Anti-Corruption Act ever via ballot initiative in the very conservative state of South Dakota. Uh, this law w- overhauled campaign finance, transparency, enforcement. It's called the South Dakota Anti-Corruption Act. It passed, became the law, and then within two months, The state legislature and governor in South Dakota repealed the law outright. They repealed it outright. Then we said, okay, well, if you're going to play that way, we'll get the signatures, another 50,000 signatures, and we will do a state constitutional amendment with this Anti Corruption Act. And that you can't touch. You can't repeal it. You can't amend it. We just gathered all the signatures, we submitted them. And now we learned that the Speaker of the House in South Dakota, is preparing lawsuits to do everything he can to try to keep us off the ballot and is introducing a dozen different laws that are aimed at making it more difficult to pass ballot initiatives. And if he's successful, we'll kneecap our effort and prevent this constitutional amendment from ever seeing the light of day. So this is part of a dangerous trend that's, that's actually happening on a lot of different issues around the country with legislatures and governors overturning, repealing, amending, and really sort of going against the spirit of these ballot initiatives that have been passed. And this is, uh, this is really disturbing.
0: And I'm guessing this is the sort of process type of issue that doesn't tend to get a lot of coverage in, in the media.
1: It doesn't. I mean, yesterday we saw this story about what I've just described go into a 400 newspapers across the country through the Associated Press. That was kind of cool. Um, and we, we, I can send that to you for you to share with your your listeners on your website, but but it is it is daunting. Uh, it's it's fueled by some big money folks. Even uh, the Koch brothers have have been funding uh, efforts against us. Uh, they're very much against transparency. Uh, but you know this is this is the the fight of our times. This is the fight of our generation. It's the biggest domestic issue in America. Because if we lose the corruption crusade, we're going to lose every other issue in the crosshairs of American democracy, from healthcare, poverty, to climate change, to efficient government, uh, it's all sitting uh, on the brink because of this issue, so we have no choice but to act.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I try to tell people as often as I can that as long as perverse incentives are in place in a bad system, uh, you're not gonna really get anywhere.
1: Yeah, it's the truth.
0: Now, uh, one final thing, and I think this is very important, just once again, for listeners who want to help out, get involved in this, uh, just one more time, where can they go and what can they do?
1: There's two things. One, go to represent.us, represent us on the web, sign up, become a volunteer. There's, you could help just by clicking and doing social media shares. If you've got more time and energy and passion, you can volunteer and start your own chapter in your own community. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing you can do, go to uh, unrigsummit.com, and there's a link on our regular represent us website, unrigsummit.com, and join us for what is the largest democracy reform conference ever in the history of our country, planned for February 2nd, 3rd, and 4th in New Orleans, Louisiana, the Big Easy. It's going to be really fun. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's going to have the leader of every democracy reform effort in the country. It'll have musicians, tons of celebrities, uh, incredible New Orleans music and comedy, and it's just going to be a blast. Again, unriggsummit.com. Do both of those things, and you will be right there in the passenger seat with us on this adventure to clean up our, our government and make it work for the American people.
0: All right. And again, we'll have all that in the show notes. And with that, we will close. Josh Silver, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today.
1: Thank you, Mike.
0: That's it for this episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you like what you heard and you'll check out today's sponsor, SeatGeek, where Politics Guys listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase by downloading the SeatGeek app or going to SeatGeek.com and entering code POLITICSGUY. And, you know, listener support is really what keeps the show going, especially as we move into the future where we are going to be completely ad-free. We really do appreciate your support. And if you're interested in joining our great group of Politics Guys supporters, you can go to politicsguys.com and click on the Patreon or PayPal link you'll find there. And if you want to support the show without spending anything, it is really helpful if you share this episode with your friends and followers or pass along our new show posts and tweets on Facebook and Twitter. Also, leaving reviews and ratings of the show on iTunes really does help. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. There's also our Facebook page where you can message us and where we post stuff throughout the week. That's facebook.com slash politicsguyspage. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorff, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show was produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Saturday. We hope you'll join us.